0: From WNET in New York, hi, I'm Tom Stewart, and welcome to WNET Up Next, where we take you behind the scenes for a look at what's happening in the world of public media and help you get to know the people who create our programs. Justine Nagan is the Executive Director of American Documentary and the Executive Producer of America Reframed, as well as POV, the award-winning series now in its 33rd year. Justine, welcome to WNET Up Next.
1: Good morning. Nice to be with you.
0: So I'd like to start with a little bit of the history. What is the history of American documentary and POV over that 33 years?
1: Sure. So in the late 80s, it was hard to see independent documentary. You had to go typically to a film festival. Occasionally, a documentary film might come to your local art house. But for many Americans, that wasn't possible. This emerging art form was not readily available. And Mark Weiss, who's the founder of Amdoc and POV, had the idea. was a believer in public television and public media, and he thought, what if we create a series that would bring the best of independent documentary cinema into Mm. American homes across the country each week? And so that is how POV was born, And American documentary. At the time, there was a fiction series called American Playhouse, you might remember.
0: I do. So
1: the name of the organization is a mirror to that, or parallel to that, uh, and that's why it's called American Documentary.
0: Sadly, American. American Playhouse is long gone. That was a wonderful, wonderful program, too.
1: That is true.
0: There are quite a few documentary series on PBS. There's Frontline, American Experience, Independent Lens, American Masters now. What is unique about POV, and where does it fit in the public media universe?
1: One of the great things about public media is it has this true commitment to nonfiction storytelling and nonfiction films across all the series that you mentioned, and they're all distinct and different. And so for POV, we're really looking for works of cinema and they're films that have a point of view. So sometimes the director's point of view it might be a personal film and they'll literally mm-hmm. be in the story. Other times their point of view might be more subtle. It might come out through the protagonist's story or through the way that it's shot or the way that it's edited. We look for films that are contemporary, that typically are character-driven, that take viewers on a journey, and that really encourage you know, someone who watches one of our films to start a conversation. Is it a film that you're gonna want to talk to a family member or a neighbor about? And then the other thing I would say that distinguishes us is usually about half our season is represented by international films. So some Mm -hmm. of the best in documentary cinema from around the world, and that's not present otherwise in the PBS schedule.
0: And what do you feel is the importance of the films that you feature? And how do you go about selecting a film for the series?
1: The films, they have tremendous import. I mean, I think especially right now as the media landscape has become more fractured, on the one hand, you have kind of narrow casting and programming by the algorithm and and people being within kind of a media, a bubble, if you will. On the other hand, you have consolidation and negative forces in the journalistic landscape. Documentary storytelling, independent documentary storytelling has really shown through. And I think it is why it's become increasingly popular is that people are seeking out quote unquote authentic voices, right? People talking about their own experience or their community's experience and presenting it in a way that emotionally resonates, right? And cuts through the clutter. So i believe so much in the in the form and i think the films we present are tremendously important That said, for POV, it's a very competitive process. Typically, we get about a 1,000 submissions, and we get those films two ways. We go uh, around, pre-COVID, we'd go around the country and around the world uh, to marketplaces and film, film festivals to meet with filmmakers and screen work and both see what's out there currently and also what's on the horizon. And then, you know, we are public, so we also have an open call, and we get hundreds of submissions each year through the open call. And film is seen by at least two people. We have a network of pre-screeners, primarily nationally, but, uh, but also some internationally that screen and give feedback on the films. We have a six person programming committee, uh, programming and production team on staff. And then we narrow that down to usually about 20 to 25 films that we bring to an editorial panel in the fall. And it's a unique process that long predates me, but I think it's beautiful and and it works. Um, A panel of 12 people usually that represent both the independent filmmaking community and public media expertise. And they review the films and debate them and talk about are these public media films? Are they POV films? What types of conversations will these films start? in whose voice are the films, what agency and what rights does that filmmaker have to tell that story. And we observe those conversations and then we use them to help guide our selection process for the following year. Each year we program about around 15 features and then we also do shorts and we have POV Spark that does interactive and then we have another series called America Reframed that I'm happy to talk more about as well, but that's the programming process for POV proper.
0: I'm amazed by the number. Is that daunting to to know that you have to winnow down a 1,000 films into 15, or is that just part of the process?
1: It's hard. I mean, a lot of tremendous, amazing films don't end up on the schedule, and there's a lot of reasons why films get programmed and it's hard it's painful but also with the explosion in documentary platforms and other ways that people are seeing films even if films don't end up on POV there are other ways for those films to get seen so that helps and you know I came up as a filmmaker and so I've been on the other side and had films rejected from POV so I also I <laughs> think that that helps keep me grounded in the process and, and understand the the stakes of the decision and the decisions we make And also, just because a film isn't selected doesn't mean it's not an amazing film, but there might be other reasons why it doesn't fit into a schedule.
0: Could you let us know what it really means to be an independent filmmaker in this
1: world today? So for a lot of films, there's commissioned films, right? So these are films that a platform or sometimes an organization Sometimes it means that they just fully pay for it, that it's still the filmmaker's idea, but it's fully funded. Other times it means that the platform has an idea for a film and they find a director to make it. But an independent film, it is, it is that. So the artist is the one leading the process. And as I mentioned earlier, On the positive side of that equation, it means they're leading the creative process. They typically own their IP. On the other side, it means that it is a real slog to get these films funded and that they have to assemble a team and do a lot of it themselves to really try to make the funding come together. And oftentimes that's part of why these films take so long to make is the stopping and starting of of the funding process.
0: I've heard stories that there's a lot of maxing out of credit cards in the independent film world. There
1: definitely is that. I think that happens more with uh, with fiction films, which has a different funding landscape and student films, but One of the ongoing discussions in our field is who gets to play, right? Who gets to make these films? And historically in our field, it's a lot of times been artists who are independently wealthy or who have other access to financial support so that they can go on this precarious journey with a film. And that leaves out a lot of people. It's not equitable. As a field, we've made a lot of strides in that area, supporting emerging artists and artists of color, different funding programs, fellowship programs, but there is still a long way to go.
0: In terms of your relationships with the filmmakers, do you get a personal relationship going with the filmmakers as the uh, production process goes on? And do you act uh, personally as a sounding board for what they're doing and offer suggestions and changes, perhaps?
1: It's a part of the work that I love doing. Part of what motivates me coming to work every day is really thinking about how to support artists and filmmakers on their journey. Um, Unfortunately, with all the demands of this job, it's an area that I don't have as much time for as I would like. So films end up on POV in two different ways either as a co-production or an acquisition. And an acquisition, uh, it's about half our schedule and those are films that are fully finished that we're purchasing. And our team interacts with those filmmakers a great deal around thinking about their impact and engagement campaign, around their press strategy. But I have less interaction with them as I do Mm -hmm. our co-productions, which is about half our slate when we get involved earlier and we help shepherd the film along. And my colleague, Chris White, who is one of the executive Mm -hmm. producers on America Reframed, he is able to get more in the trenches creatively and really work with filmmakers on their path. I, I do some of that and I also work with filmmakers around their distribution and marketing and fundraising path and decisions.
0: This summer has been an incredibly intense period in terms of social justice, racism, uh, add that to the pandemic. How does the documentary world respond and how do you respond to everything that's happening
1: right now? I think there's a lot of reflection, both personally, organizationally, as a field, introspection, asking really tough questions, and taking a critical eye and thinking, how can we do better? We must do better. And if we want the field to look differently, You know in three years and five years there's a lot of work that has to that has to happen to make it more equitable and all too often in the past and even now there are huge uh, race inequities within our field and who gets funded who gets supported who gets to tell what story you may have followed there was a recent incident around The tiger woods series on hbo a team of white filmmakers was selected to make it and the fields pushed back and cried out and there was a really productive difficult but productive conversation that happened around that to say this isn't fair this isn't right how do we change the narrative how do we change uh, the practice pov has a history of showcasing filmmakers from around the world, from various backgrounds, and really having a commitment to divorce storytelling. But we, like everyone else, can do better. We can do better with the stories that we champion. We can do better with our staff. We can do better with our board. Um, and, you know, it's something that that I'm taking seriously, that we're all taking seriously.
0: This season, POV, uh, incredible number of films, as you've mentioned. What are some of the highlights, and what are some of the films that you think are really destined to focus people in terms of national conversations? I mean,
1: it's it's kind of like uh, asking for your favorite child, you know?
0: <laughs> I know, I know. My my it was films. that kind of um, question. Yeah, no, all the films are wonderful. <laughs>
1: they're, all, they're all tremendous seasons, but this, this one is really, really powerful and resonant with the times that we're in. In POV's 33 years we've never done episodic programming and so we had our first multi-part series this year which kicked off the season as a special partnership with PBS. This summer it started uh, it's a film called and she could be next which follows strong you know powerful movement of women of color as they transform politics in this country and really looking what support they need and what the stakes are of this movement and it was an all women of color crew such amazing women who made the film, so I encourage people to check that out, and we followed it with a film called We Are the Radical Monarchs. Which is about a,
0: these are the young young girls yes, in San Francisco or that the, area or who are like instead of Girl yes, Scouts exactly. we've got something um, else
1: a scout troop for young uh, young women of color really focused on social justice so you know as the filmmaker says instead of selling cookies you know they get badges for you know visiting their congresswomen or uh, attending a protest it's really it.
0: There were some amazing scenes of these kids visiting their state legislators. It was pretty uh, impressive.
1: Absolutely. And another film about youth called In My Blood It Runs is coming up September 21st, which is an aboriginal story out of Australia that really centers this incredible 10-year-old boy, Dewan, and his family. And it was made with a co-creation process. So the protagonists in the film actually um, are credited on the film as with the directors and producers as creators of the film. We have another film called Softy in October that was a film that we came on as co-producers. It's a Kenyan film team. It was actually, I think the first East African film to premiere at Sundance. And it's dynamic and inspiring and really makes you think about what the costs and what the stakes of participating fully in the political process and standing up for what you believe in. I can go on and on. They're so good. And then we have two early next year, the bowl agent and through the night. But uh, if you go to our website, uh, POV.org, you can get the full lineup. And one of the things that's great about POV that I tell people is when you tune in, you won't know what it's going to be about, but you know it'll be worth your time and that you'll be transformed after watching.
0: Another title that comes to mind right now is America Reframed.
1: We are so proud of our work on America Reframed. It's in its eighth season, and it's a partnership we do with the World Channel, which is a digital channel, PBS digital channel. And it's available in, I believe, 75% of American homes. So if you're interested, please look for it. And America Reframed was created to reframe the contemporary American experience with a lens towards diversity in front of it and behind the camera. They are unexpected. They will move you, whenever I walk watch America reframed or tune in or tell my parents to tune in, I learn something. I, I'm engaged. I visit a part of the country that I've never been before. So it's, it's a dynamic series and it's a little engine that could. It's a small team that makes it all happen of really, you know, dedicated professionals who just, who love the work and love the films. And I really encourage people to check it out.
0: And it's on the world channel.
1: Yep. Great. We, we program that. I should say a, a co-production with WGBH in Boston.
0: Now, you also have a new, or I guess it's a fairly new uh, interactive initiative. Tell me about POV Spark.
1: POV's always had a commitment to innovation. It's been within the public media landscape, one of the series that has been really dedicated to pushing the envelope. We were the first series, I think, that had a website. We did the first digital series called Borders several years ago. Three, four years ago, we did the first documentaries ever on Snapchat. And About two years ago, um, really thinking about how to focus the department as the interactive field grew, It was rechristened POV Spark and its dynamic leader, Opiemi Olukemi, who came to us from Tribeca, really thinking about how to take the values of public media and combine them with this burgeoning art form and burgeoning field, and try to make these interactive projects more accessible and help the creators get larger audiences for their work and, and have greater impact. We've been really excited to watch it grow. It's released something called Public Update, which a digest of some of the best interactive projects. You can check that out. And there's a big partnership we're doing with the National Film Board of Canada, a series called Otherly, that will be released next month.
0: And that's also on the POV website? We can find that?
1: Yep. If you look on the POV website or on amdoc.org also, you can find it. Otherly will be a series of works made on Instagram stories.
0: Now, I know in the past, a lot of your work is about uh, film festivals and uh public engagement with large groups gathering to see films. In this COVID-19 era, that is probably gone, but do these interactive explorations fill that need?
1: We've all had to pivot, right? Um, even though that word is becoming overused, it's still it's still apt. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, one of the things from POV's very origins, Amdocs' origins, was around uh, community engagement. So, in addition to broadcast and now streaming, how do we really help these films make a difference and start a conversation and open minds? And a lot of that happens in in small groups. And so POV Engage is charged with going beyond the broadcast into communities and help. Helping partner organizations use film to serve the public. We have a network of over 11,000 partners that are part of our community network. These are public libraries, schools, churches, jails, temples that regularly program documentaries. They often have little or no budgets, and we create discussion guides, lesson plans for teachers, and reading resource guides to help these partners use these films. We've had to change that work into the digital landscape, Our POV Engage team has been really hustling, both to work with filmmakers to change the rights to be able to allow us to do these digital screenings, And then to partner with these community organizations to find out their needs, how they've moved into the virtual space and how we can continue to do these events as best we can virtually because the films still have things to say and still have the power to connect people even if it's not in person. And Mm -hmm. with POV Spark, it's similar. You know, people have more time at home and they're spending more times on their devices. And so if we can use this time through a program like Public Update or Otherly to get them to open their minds to what might be possible, for that experience and different ways to engage with stories and storytellers on their screens. Like what a tremendous opportunity.
0: And many of the films are now available on PBS Passport and sites like that. After broadcast, uh, you can have a few months to catch up on on a POV film.
1: Absolutely, so both POV and America Reframe Films, if you look on our websites, you can stream them. They all have a period of free streaming. And then many of our films, again, because they are independent, they will have separate deals with other platforms like Amazon or Netflix Uh where films become available. But again, for us, it's really important that there is that period where they are free and accessible. And then if you're a member of your local public television station, you do have access to Passport. And many of these films are available longer for PBS members. So whether you watch your films online or uh, over the air or on OTT services like Apple TV or, or Roku, if you go to the PBS app and go to POV or America Reframed, you'll see all the films and be able to watch them.
0: Great. Justine, uh, you mentioned before that you are a filmmaker as well. How did you get into the world of film?
1: I studied journalism and cinema in college and wanted to do something with social justice and started working at my local public television station. I finished my undergrad at UW Madison. And so I started working for Wisconsin Public Television as an intern and then as a staffer and learned to edit, learned to produce, learned to direct. And then I moved to Chicago and while I was in grad school, started volunteering at Cartempen Films, which is a historic nonprofit production company in Chicago, most well known for Hoop Dreams, but also for a host of other of other films and volunteered there and then got hired on a staff and directed a feature film there and a short and then was hired to do marketing and distribution for them and then eventually was hired as executive director to All in, I was there for 10 years and really came up there and learned and I'm so grateful for the values. It was an incredible way to learn this industry, really rooted in uh, making a difference in people's lives and in the value of art as a lens to see the world.
0: What are the biggest challenges for you in this kind of work?
1: Depends on the day, Um, you know, sometimes it's thinking about public television and POV's role in this uh, crowded media landscape, and sometimes it's fundraising. Right now, I think it's really deeply thinking about the legacy and future of the organization in these tumultuous times and really wanting to build a firm foundation so it can continue to serve artists and the public for many years to come. And then personally I have two little kids. So also Mm -hmm. thinking about how to balance the work of of running a nonprofit and having a family during multiple pandemics uh, with virtual school.
0: (laughs) Your plate is full as they say.
1: That it is, that it is, I'm I'm grateful.
0: What are your biggest satisfactions out of what you do?
1: Uh, When you watch a film, uh, connect with an audience and you know at Kurt Humpkin, we used to talk about that uh, the importance of both the, the anecdotal you know the, the qualitative as well as the quantitative so you could say millions of people saw this film on all these different platforms and that's important and then on the other hand having one person come up to you and, or write you an email and say this film changed my life and here's how I get goosebumps thinking about it uh, it really is a medium that touches people and, and changes their lives that's what motivates me and I, I love my community so much and really thinking about all of the filmmakers and the organizations that make it up and and believe in this art form. That's what motivates me and, and uh, keeps me going.
0: Any advice for uh, the would-be young filmmaker?
1: Yeah, find a story that excites you. One that you think you should tell and really think about who you are to tell that story and who should be with you to tell that story. And as you think about those questions, reach out to other friends. If you know other people who are excited about documentary or films like you are, ask them for help and make some stuff, you know, do the work to think responsibly about the story and who you are to tell it ahead of time, but then just dive in and and make some stuff.
0: Great advice. Just one more time, the website for POV.
1: You can visit pov.org or amdoc.org to see all of our work.
0: Thank you so much. Our guest today, Justine Nagin, Executive Director of American Documentary and POV, America Reframed. Thanks, Justine, and all the best going forward.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: And thanks also to our audio engineer, Evan Joseph, our editor, Samantha Lobo, our executive producer, Dana McBride, and thank you for listening, and join us again soon for another edition of WNET Up Next. You're welcome to share your questions and comments with us at upnext at wnet.org, and of course, do become a subscriber. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design and On-Air Promotion Department of WNET New York. I'm Tom Stewart.